Hey, good morning, everyone. Glad to have you here at Lakeside. You've already welcomed so many times, but I'm glad to have you here as well. And uh, I thought we would start um, by doing something a little different this morning as we start my talk today. We're going to do a little word association game. So I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to think in your mind. You don't have to yell it out, but I want you to think in your mind what that word means to you, maybe some synonyms, uh, words that are similar, and uh, you'll catch on. But just sort of think, as I give you a word, you think, oh yeah, here's what I think about when I think about that word. So the first word is politician. The first word is politician. So what do you think of when you think about a politician? Somebody told me the word politic comes from two little Greek words, poly meaning many, and tick meaning blood-sucking bugs. Um, I'm not sure if that's true, but anyway, I don't know what your definition is. Second definition is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Here's some cheers. Here are a few boos. Yeah, we got different opinions. People are, you know, showing me their hat and so on. Great. What do you think about when you think about the word root canal? Ooh. What do you think about and how do you define country music? I'd rather have the root canal. Here's one I know we're going to get a response on this morning. What do you think about when you think about the name Miley Cyrus? Yeah, I thought that would get, you know, a lot being written. Uh, she deserves a lot of what she's being written about. Here's the last one. What do you think about and how do you define the word friend? What words would you use that are synonymous with the word friend? What would your definition of that word be? Think about it for a moment. When you think of a friend, what do you think about? How do you define it? Let me just get this bug that's swimming in my cup here. There we go. How many of you know where this classic line comes from on the screen? Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Who knows where that's from? Raise your hand. Man, some of you, you don't, you don't need to be embarrassed to raise your head. It's okay. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. It came from that great classic Christmas movie. If you've never watched it, you've missed something great. It's a wonderful life. And it's right at the end of the movie. And George Bailey, who has had all of these failures and feels like a failure, and has kind of stumbled and falls and wishes to maybe take his own life, realizes that he has all of these friends who came to his aid and came around him and really cared for him and lifted him up and picked him up. And at the end of the movie, he picks up this little book by the Christmas tree and he opens it up and it has those words, no man is a failure who has friends. And they came, you know, inscribed by a little angel, Clarence Oddbody. But there's some real truth to that, that none of us who have friends really are failures because friends are so critical to life. Friends are important. We all know it to be true instinctively and intuitively. So how do you define the word? You know, how do you define friend? What faces come to mind? What are some synonyms of the word friend to you? And I'm sure we would have a wide variety of what that word means. One of the wisest men that ever lived was a man named Solomon, and he wrote a number of things in the Bible, and one of them were statements based on observation of things that he saw, and it's called Proverbs. That's all Proverbs are. It's just he had an observation, and he wrote these sort of little observations down, and he, he has a number of observations that help give us definition to the word friend. 
So he will say this, a friend loves at all times. No matter what we do, no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter the choices we've made or the lines we've crossed, friends stick with us. Friends love no matter what at all times. Second thing he says is a friend sticks closer than a brother or a sister. Sometimes friends are actually closer than family, and some of us know that to be true. Third thing he says is a, a friend is not afraid to challenge us, to look in a, our, our eyes and say those hard things, and it, sometimes it feels like a wound. But he says friends are not afraid to wound in the right way with words of truth and with words laced with grace, words that move us forward, words that can change our lives. Friends are not afraid to say the hard things. He goes on and says, a friend gives wise and earnest counsel. Friends are there for advice and guidance and insight. And then sort of kind of keeping in line with us, though I think Solomon wrote it first, he says this, people who have friends are rich. See, I think all of us who have friends are rich. Now, I wasn't fully satisfied with that definition alone as I was building my definition for friendship this week. So I went to a couple of online dictionaries, and here's some of the words they said. A friend is a person who knows you deeply and intimately and, who, and with who you have a bond of mutual affection typically exclusive of sexual or family relationships. So friends are those we have this mutual intimacy and bond with. Another definition was a friend is a person who knows, likes, and trusts you, and you feel the same. It's one attached to another by mutual affection and esteem. Now, there's another dictionary online. I don't know if any of you ever read it. It's called the Urban Dictionary. If you ever read it, it's got some really funny things. Some of you said, yeah, I can see the smiles. It defines friends this way. A friend is someone who is fully aware of how crazy you are, but still wants to be seen in public with you. Another one says, a friend is someone who will laugh with you until you wet your pants. And as you get older, that's more people. Another one is, a friend is someone who will cry with you when you lose something or someone very special. A friend is someone when you don't have enough money for ice cream, will chip in and buy you one. A friend is someone, I love this, who knows you so well that they could easily figure out your internet password. <laughs> a friend is someone who makes you cr never makes you cry just to be me. And there's lots of great definitions that we could use and words to describe this person as friend. And I, I, I don't know what would be on your list and who you would consider a friend and what names come to mind. But I started to write from my own observation from the friends who have been in my life some of the things I would say if I was defining friend. Here's what I wrote. A friend is someone who really knows me and I know them beneath the superficial veneer that I often project. A friend is someone who where I can take off my mask and be real with. A friend is someone who encourages me when I'm discouraged, helps me overcome challenges and obstacles in my life, who gives me perspective when I'm filled with fear and anxiety and worry. A friend provides strength and support when my faith is wavering. A friend picks me up when I stumble and fall, who kicks me in the butt when I need it, who loves me enough to say hard things when they need to be said, who holds me accountable in the areas I need to grow and need to change. A friend is someone who helps me navigate difficult waters, who laughs and cries and mourns with me. Everything I said about a friend and all of that is my definition of friend. And that's kind of the full description or definition we're going to use this morning. 
You see, all of us know intuitively and instinctively that we need friends. We know the importance of having friends like the description and definitions I've given you this morning. We long for it. We desire it. We seek after it because we know it's important. You know, the television show Friends was not just wildly popular because it was incredibly funny. It was wildly popular because I think that it created a scenario and situations and, and, and sort of a picture of what every person wants, those people that we can be that close to. People who have the kind of friendship I've described for the most part thrive and grow and experience the full life Jesus promised. Life and friendship seem to go together. Friendship is so important and I believe the, the, the depth of your friendship and the kind of friendship you have determines the direction and the destiny and the trajectory of your life. If we're going to demolish these walls that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, and we'll talk over the next couple of weeks, you can't do it alone. Demolition of these walls that help us find life, it's a team sport, and God designed it that way, that we are to do it in little communities of people that we call friends. You see, I think the right connections, having the right friends, sets us up for the best life possible. We know the power of friendship. We know they, they set direction and they, 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 they set trajectory because some of us have had the wrong kinds of friends, haven't we? And we know that it's led us down the wrong road. We've also had the right kind of friends and we know it's led us down the right path. One person said this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. That's how important friends are by our definition today. But here's my fear. Because I lived this way for a, a big chunk of my life. My fear is that many of us have few or no friends based on the definition I gave you this morning. So much so that we have learned to substitute the word acquaintance with friend. And we have someone we kind of know, maybe that we hang around them a little bit and we go, I have a friend who, I've done it all the time. Because we don't have the depth of friendship based on the definition, we exchange it for another word, acquaintance. But we call them friends. But they really aren't. And they are not really going to help us find life. My big idea for today is, you, you know, I, I, I like to sort of set the stage of where we're going. Here it is. The one thing many people are missing in the, is the right friendships. And because of that, they're missing out on life. Because we're missing the right friendships, we are missing out on life. One Christian therapist, one very renowned, said this, I believe the root of all personal and emotional difficulties is the lack of togetherness, a failure to connect that keeps us receiving life and prevents the life in us from spilling over into others. Friendship. It's so important. Robert Putnam wrote a book, Bowling Alone, and he said, North American society has experienced a steady decline of what sociologists call social capital. The level of genuine community in North America is at the lowest point in our lifetime. And those are pretty bold statements. But there's research that proves it. 25 years ago, they took a similar definition of what I've used for friend this morning. And they asked how many people have those kind of friends. And the average person said they had six. Last year, they did exactly the same study, asked exactly the same questions with the same definition. Anybody want to guess how many people we have as friends today? 
two. Two. Now, I think that might have something to do that we've moved from burial to cremation because you don't need six people to carry the casket anymore. I'm just guessing maybe that might be the reason. Not really. They laughed more at the first service on that. Now, I know there's lots of factors to this, but this is one part of that study that just shocked me. It also revealed that 25% of Americans, given the definition of friend, couldn't name a single person. One in four. Now, I know there's lots of factors, as I said. I think part of it is the pace of life that so many of us have been living at. We're living so fast, thinking we're trying to make a life instead of enjoying life. And we're trying to do this thing, you know, I want to earn a living, and we're missing out on life. And we've got the trajectory of our lives going so quick. And friendships take time. And sometimes we just don't have the time to put into those friendships. I think a second reason, and a lot of people would agree with me, that social media has played a big part. You know, we try to do life together 140 characters at a time. Now, I'm not against social media, and I use it a lot. However, this great tool that when it's leveraged the right way can do great things has redefined, I think, our definition of friendship and connection. Experts will say that social media has made us obsessed with online images versus genuinely connecting with others, who we are. Because what do we put on Facebook, right? Get our camera out and take a picture of us. Or we take a picture of what we just had for lunch. Or we take a picture of, you know, our vacation spot. Or we put these great status updates, great quotes. And what do we live for and long for when we do that? How many what we get? Likes. And isn't it sort of all about getting likes? Because we need to know somebody likes me. Social media is to be a supplement of great connecting with friends, not a substitute. It supplements what we already have. It is not a new way of connecting. It is not a new way of interacting. It is a supplement to the old way. If you were to think, if you're on Facebook, how many friends you have, I would ask and challenge you this morning, write that number down somewhere, you know, kind of roughly, and then write down the number of true friends you have based on the definition I gave you. I think lots will have thousands of one and only few or none of the other. And I believe that the one wall that keeps us from finding life as much as any other is this one, the wall I call disconnected individualism. Now, I want to define individualism for you this morning. Here's what it says. Individualism individualism is the belief that the needs of each person is more important than the needs of the whole group. It's this sort of cultural doctrine that says the needs of the individual are paramount or better or superior to the needs of the entire entity. We might say it this way to simplify because that's a bit of a mouthful. Here's what I think the easiest definition is this. Me is more important than we. Me is more important than we. And, and that we might be, you know, those people in our lives family, friends, church community, staff teams. 
Often, me is more important than we. My wants, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my this, my choices, my happiness, my whatever. My, my, my is more important than we, we, we. It's about me getting what I want. And there's lots of cultural messages that push us towards this, but there's a cost attached to it. And we're hungry to satisfy me and more, more than we, and in doing so, we hurt and wound others because we're going, me is getting whatever I want at any cost. I'm going to seek self-fulfillment and my personal happiness, and I don't care what happens to anybody else. Now, that might sound like an extreme, but there are varying degrees that all of us think that way from time to time. And there's lots of cultural messages that push us towards that, and there's lots of cultural structures that reinforce that. And I even think we've we bought into it a little bit in church. I really do. I think our faith practices and the way we sometimes read the Bible, we read it in ways that the individual is more important than the community. Sometimes we read the Bible and apply the truths and live out our faith. You know, we read the Bible and says, what does it say to me and how do I apply it to my life? And there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to remember that the writings of the Bible were written primarily to one large community in the Old Testament and a, one big community in little chunk called the, the faith community in the New Testament. This was always written, always designed to be read by the community, learned by the community, and lived out in communal living. It was always designed to that way, always but it's so easy to get caught up in me more important than we. I get there a lot of times. I mean, when I think about how many times I go, I, my, and me in a sentence in a day, I'm embarrassed to think about it because it's easy for me to get sort of the focal point, the priority in our lives. And it creates the wall of discon disconnected individualism. It does. Now, Solomon in another part of the Bible, shares kind of his journal. And part of the journal is him writing on how to find soul satisfaction. But the other part of the journal is just observations he makes. And in this journal observation, inspired by God's Spirit, he lists some of the bricks that we put in the wall of disconnected individualism. They're kind of telltale symptoms, and I just want to go through them relatively quickly. The first thing that we do is that we hurt and wound others. Disconnected individualism, me being more important than we tends to wound other people. And he says this right up front. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that's taking place under the sun, all the wounding, all the hurting, all that goes on. I looked around and I saw it. And that because of that, I saw the tears of the oppressed, those who were hurt and wounded. And they had no comforter. And he said the oppressors had power, but there was no comfort. It's about wounding and hurting and tears and no comfort. And I see this all the time. I have people share their stories. I have men and women reaching for Kleenex after Kleenex, wiping the tears away because the person that they loved and the person they're married to decided to have a relationship outside that marriage. Let me tell you, being unfaithful to your marriage partner is all about me being more important than we, always. And it wounds and it hurts. I have kids walk in my office, you know, Teenagers in their 20s. They're kids to me when you're as old as I am. And they walk into my office and they're wounded and hurt because mom and dad are so focused on building a career, 
Success is all they're seeking and the symbols and the stuff that it buys. These kids go, you know what? We got left in the dust. Like we didn't matter, like we didn't, weren't that important. And there's tears and they feel wounded. And I have parents come in on the opposite who have been wounded by one of their kids because me was more important than we. And I've seen people do it to their friends and people do it to others in church, to their neighbors. We hurt and we wound and we create tears all because we think I'm more important than the good of the whole. And it's not usually one brick that we put in this wall. It's usually a whole bunch of little me over we choices. And over time we build this wall and it hurts others, wounds others, and it creates tears in the eyes of others. Secondly, we get obsessed with ladder climbing. That's what he says. And I saw that all, I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from a man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He's saying, you know what we do? We create these imaginary ladders and we, 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 we come to believe in a myth that happiness and success and status and me-ism is all at the top of the ladder. And life becomes a bit of a competition. And we begin to climb and we kind of mark where others are above us and below us and it either creates envy or pride. And we always think that me sits at the top and if it does, then we sits at the bottom of the ladder. And me always, if it takes precedent over we because we're climbing to the top, the sad thing is, is we miss out what's at the bottom of the ladder and here's what's at the bottom of the ladder with we the greatest memories of life and the fewest regrets when we, our lives end sit at the bottom of that ladder with we. You think about it. You think of your greatest memories. It's always with somebody else. And you talk to people who get to the end and have regrets. It's because they sought after me more than we. We get our priorities out of whack. Our focus gets skewed. And the people that matter the most get pushed aside. Now let me say, God's not anti-success and he is not anti-climbing. Only when it's me above we and it does those hurts and those wounds. The third thing is, is that we care very little about the needs of others. We do. We care very little about the needs of others. Look what he says. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. And in that day, the idea of folding of your hands... It's really the kind of attitude of apathy and complacency. It's just a foolish way to live. It's amazing how many were doing this just did this in the room anyway. The more me, the more me is more important than we, the less we are concerned with others. Because it's like these lights up front. When the spotlight is on me, it's really hard for me to see others. And when it's all about me and I want the focus on me and I want the spotlight on me and I'm more important than anything else, it is hard for me to see others. And the more it's about me, the less it is about sharing resources and the less being a volunteer and the less sacrificing for others. The Bible says that we are considering others more important than ourselves. We consider the needs of others and our own needs, but others' needs as well. But when it's all about me, I do so little of that because the more we care about ourselves, the less we care about others. The less we care about others. And finally, he says this last brick is this. There's the constant craving for more. The constant craving for more. That's what he says. Better one handful 
with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. There seems to be in our culture, I see this when me is more dominant than we, this growing discontentment. We're less and less satisfied with what we have. And we're supposed to draw a line in the sand that says enough. And once we get there, it is enough. And we get one hand filled. But so many people redefine and move the line and now they want two hands full. I think it's kind of a picture here that when one hand's full, the other hand is reaching out and caring for someone else and being in community. When both hands get full, it's hard to reach out. It's hard to care. I watched so many people spend huge amounts of time and energy chasing after stuff at the expense of great friendships. Wow. I see it. You see, when me becomes more than we, we build this wall behind me. It stands in the way of us finding the life that we're all looking for and we all need, but it stands in the way of wonderful friendships and relationships. And I think the more bricks that we put in the wall, the less friends we have. And the more relationally disconnected we will be if we build a wall that me is greater than we. And we'll have less friends, and yet we all know, right? how critical and important friends are in our lives. The more we build this wall, the less life-giving, joy-producing memories we'll have and the more regrets we'll have at the end of life. I just believe that's so true. And so Solomon kind of details this bricks and then he makes this one statement. It's a heart-stopping one to me. And I'm gonna kind of give you the paraphrase and then show you the statement. He says this, individualism eventually leads to isolation, the disconnected part. That's why it's disconnected individualism. That individualism leads to isolation. This might be just the most, the saddest verses in all the Bible. There was a man, what? All alone. Is that not sad? This man is all alone. He has neither son nor brother. Nobody around him. He's by himself. And he talks about the bricks. There was no end to his toil. His eyes were not content. We talked about some of those bricks. He says, for who am I toiling and why? And look what happens when we build this wall of disconnected isolationism. He says this, I am depriving myself of enjoyment. We miss out on the joys of life. Then he goes on, it's meaningless. We lose the meaning of life. And lastly, it's just downright miserable. Downright miserable. I would define isolation this way. It's when the deepest part of who we are is not vibrantly attached to anyone. The deepest part of who we are is not vibrantly attached to anyone. And the more bricks in the wall of we being greater than me, the more isolated from life-giving relationships will be because you increase individualism, you increase isolation. And there's this continuum, and over on this side of the continuum, you have friends and you have these connections in these little communities and, and, and you have the opposite. You have joy and you have meaning and it's a, it's a great life. But on the other end, you have isolation. The closer you move to isolation, the experts tell us, the more chance there is of suicide, the greater chance there is of depression. It's true. More addictions, more divorce. We heal less quickly, we have less hope and we experience less life the more we move to isolation. And yet some of us keep building this wall, moving more to isolation. See, isolation lives on this side of that wall. Life is on the other side. People had six friends 25 years ago. They only have two now, which tells me more and more people are choosing isolation. Now, 
Not all isolation comes from building by me more than we. Not directly anyway. There are other reasons some of us choose isolation. Some of us build it one rejection at a time, right? We get so rejected and people reject us and we feel rejected and pushed away and shoved away by people who are supposed to love us and care for us and be our friends that finally we go, nuts to that. I'm not doing that one anymore and I'll choose isolation because it feels a whole lot better. Some people build the wall because they've been hurt and wounded and abused and molested. By people close to them, they go, hey, I've been so wounded and so hurt. This side of the wall, isolation, safe place. Some people build this wall because they shared personal stuff and then they got betrayed. They got vulnerable and someone kind of walked all over them. You see, it can be so difficult to break down this wall because of past wounds and past hurts. And, and, and it's only natural. It's what it means to be human, not to want to trust again. Some of us have got our truster broken. Got a broken truster. We say, hey, it's safer, it's better, it's easier this side of the wall. Problem is, it doesn't matter why you're in the side of the wall that says the word isolation. The negative realities of isolation will make their way into our lives. Now, there's one more group that lives in isolation, and it's not by their choosing. It's by the choosing of others, because some of us have these blind spots. We're going to talk about that next week. And there's this toxic behavior, and we don't even see it. And we wonder, why don't I have many friends? Because so often we hurt others and they just want nothing to do with us and we kind of are put into a force isolation. But it doesn't matter why we choose it. When we live on this side of the wall in isolation, it keeps us from finding the life we're looking for, deep joy, meaning, happiness, contentment, and so on. But here's the neat thing. Solomon doesn't go, okay, well, I'm finished now. And if I finished and send you home, you went, oh boy, that was so incredibly uplifting. Solomon does this neat thing. He moves us from what life on this side of the wall looks like to what life on the other side of the wall looks like. It's kind of like the person who puts the picture of themselves thin on their fridge. It's kind of he paints a picture of what could be. And so let's look at this picture of genuine friendship. This is the way God designed you and I to live life because of what life is like on the other side of the wall. Look what he says first of all. This is what friends do. Friends make you better. Friends make you better. Two are better than one because they have a good, the word could be greater return from their work. He's referring to an old parable in that day that says when you have one ox, you can do one times the work. When you have two, you can do five times. When you have three, you can do 20 times. The more you have and the more people together, the greater outcome, the greater betterment you have. You can be better because of your friends. I know I have been. See, friends get there and they hold me accountable. They spur me on. They challenge me. You know, it's like iron sharpening iron. One person sharpens another. That's what Solomon said somewhere else. Friends give us discipline and structure. They share with us wisdom and insight. They kick us in the butt when we need it. They point out the blind spots we have and they help us demolish the walls. I know when my life has got better in my character and has, I've moved forward better in my walk towards life and my relationship with Jesus, it's when I've had friends around me. I think that old hockey player who got all the fame over one goal, Paul Henderson, was in my life. And he pushed me and challenged and confronted and encouraged and pointed out good character qualities and pointed out my blind spots. And he is one friend among a few that have always made me better because friends make us better. They move us forward towards life. We need friends. That's what they do for us. Secondly, friends pick you up when you stumble. He says here, 
If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the person who falls and has no one to help him up. The reality is, and Jesus says this in Matthew, that all of us are going to stumble and fall. It's impossible not to. We're human beings. We live in a culture of brokenness, and we make decisions and choices that will trip us up and cause us to fall and skin our emotional and mental and relational knees. And it's genuine friendships that are there to pick us up, dust us off, and get us moving in the right direction again. These little genuine communities we find our way to when we stumble and fall, because we all will. They help us back up, right? No shame, no finger pointing, no guilting, no judgment, no criticism, because they understand, but by the grace of God, they could be the same boat. Now, they don't let us off the hook, but they don't leave us on the ground. I get these phone calls from people who have really been wounded or hurt or, or they stumbled in big ways, like moral stumbles. And sometimes I'll ask them the kind of the question if I feel it's appropriate, and I'll say, what small group are you in here at Lakeside? I know the answer most of the time. I'm not in one. Because here's the reality. When we stumble and fall, the thing that we need the most, we will desire the least. The thing we need the most is people to come around and pick us up and dust us off and move us forward. But we'll desire it the least. Like nobody wants to pick up the phone and call their friend and say, man, have I blown it. None of us. But here's what I know. If I have this little group of friends, when that happens, whether I want them there or not, they're going to show up and they're going to be there for me. But if I have not built that little group of friends before I stumble and fall, I could be there all by myself being pitied because I have no one to help me back up. We all need friends. They're there to help us when we stumble. Thirdly, I love this one. Friends allow you to be real. I love that. They allow me to be real. And here's the verse. Now, I've got to explain it. So it's also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now you're going, how did you get that out of that? Well, you've got to know that this is built on a cliche. And if two lie together and get warm, it is talking about nakedness under a blanket. It's about getting naked. That's what it's about. Nakedness is about vulnerability. It's openness. It's transparent. There's no barrier between us, right? Like in the beginning when those people sinned and they were naked and not ashamed and then they sinned and then they were ashamed and they built, you know, fig leaves, hopefully not out of poison ivy, but they they built those leaves, they made those garments, right? That's what this is all about. It's about vulnerability and transparency. It's about getting naked with one another. Not literally, I mean... It's just being real and open and transparent and vulnerable, taking off the mask, sharing your struggle, revealing your stumble, sharing your brokenness, no matter what it is, without fear. Without fear. And we get to be real. And there's no judgment or condemnation or criticism or shame or rejection. We just get grace and acceptance and love. And there's something, oh, we, those of us who have experienced it, Something so healing, life-giving when we get to be real with some other people. Some of you know the freedom I'm talking about and some of you don't. Living in isolation because we've been wounded by being vulnerable in the past. I know that's our natural tendency. But healing really happens when we find those people we can trust and we get real with them. And then lastly... It keeps you from further brokenness. This is what friends do for you. The verse says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend 
themselves. A cord of three strands, a cord of three friends, three friends together are not quickly or easily broken. See, we can be overcome by the lies of the past, overwhelmed by the temptations of the present. We can be overpowered by anxiety and fear of the future and retreat to patterns and choices of past brokenness. But it is friends who give us the strength not to do this. A few friends who are bonded together, woven together, interwoven like rope. I love Celebrate Recovery. And I love that we have sponsors and accountability partners and little groups of people so that when you're ready to give into a pattern of old behavior, a relapse, you got someone to call and say, I'm ready to jump off the ledge back into an old pattern. And they talk you off the ledge. And that's what friends do for us. That's what friends do for us. They give us strength and support and they prevent further brokenness. Isn't that a wonderful picture on the other side of the wall? Don't you just say, I want that? There's a single story in the Bible that I want to read for you this morning that I think just kind of drives this home. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I'm just going to read it and make a couple of comments. You'll get it. It says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, so this is Prince Jonathan, his father Saul is the king, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistines. They're the arch enemy of the nation Israel. Let's go to their outpost on the other side. There's this kind of ravine that they would have to cross. But uh, it says, Jonathan did not tell his father. I think there's problems between him and his dad. If you know the story of Saul, you can get that one. It says, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross, um, there were these cliffs, and he names the cliffs. And Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised uh, fellows. That's how they picked up teams. We just wear colored jerseys and names on the back, but that's how they picked up teams then. And perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving us, whether by many or few. This is what Jonathan says. And then listen to what his armor bearer says. I love this. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. Don't you need someone when you're facing the enemies and the strongholds and the valleys and the desert and the wilderness? Don't you need someone with you, heart and soul? Absolutely we do. He goes on. Jonathan said, come then. We'll cross over. And he he said, we're going to cross over. And he says, we'll wait. And if they call us up, we'll go. If they come down to us, we'll let them come to us. He said, but if they call us up to go to them, we'll know that God's going to deliver them. So they showed themselves to the Philistines and the Philistines mocked them and said, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me and the Lord has given them into our hands. And Jonathan climbed up, listen to this, using his hands and feet and his armor bearer was right behind him. We need people who are with us heart and soul and we need those who are right behind us. Don't we? Don't we? To do life? So here's the big question of the day. Who are you connected with heart and soul and who is right behind you? Do you have a name? Do you have a face? Do you have a person? Because God created us to live in community. In the beginning of the Bible, the first time something is not good is when man is all alone. And God is a being who lives in community. Father, Son, and Spirit created us as image bearers of Himself and wants us to live in these little communities of at least three. In the New Testament, it uses the phrase one another 52 times, emphasizing the need to be with one another. 
Matthew 18, 20, it says, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. He's saying in these little communities of two or three, God is present. Doesn't mean he's not there when we're alone, but there's a special presence and a special power of God that all of us need to find life, and it's found when we're we're, we're together with two or three in community. And yet some of us so resist this, so to the point that the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, Paul, um, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another, kind of, you know, Horses, spurs, give them a kick towards what? Being better lovers and doing better deeds. And he says, some of you are giving up on gathering with those life-giving friends. He said, but you need to be there. Let's not get up. Stop doing that. But let us encourage one another. We need those who will spur us on to better lovers and better deeders. And we need those who will encourage us. We need those who will stand with us, heart and soul, right behind us. We need that. It's the only way we get to the other side of the wall. And there's a risk, yeah, people will let you down. I get that, but the reward is far greater. And at Lakeside, we have created these environments, these little groups of people, these little groups of people who get together on a regular basis, not because they'll become your friends. They're simply environments where you might find friendship. Not you might be in a group of 12, you might find one or two friends. You might go to some groups. I'm not going to oversell this deal. You might not find any in that group, so you go and find another group. But eventually, you find friends. I'm going to tell you, my closest friends outside of my, my wife and my family, my closest friends, every one of them I met in a small group. I got into it. I clicked with them. We became friends. And all that friends mean and how they are defined and what they do, I found it in these guys in groups. See, at Lakeside, we believe that we have been created by God not just to sit in rows, but to be in circles with a small group of people. That's how the community of faith was designed by God, to be lived out. And if those little group of friends isn't at Lakeside, it's okay. As long as you got them. As long as you've got them. It's time to choose isolationism. It's time to stop Always thinking about me more important than we. It's time to stop giving into individualism, to stop living that way and find your place, to, your way to a place that you can find friends. Now, it takes mutuality. Let me just say this in closing. Don't go for someone to be your friend, but go to be someone else's friend. I see so many people going, I'm just waiting for a friend to come my way. Not likely going to happen. Take a couple of steps towards someone. It's about mutuality. It's got to be. It's the only way friendship works. See, we all want to love and be loved. We all want to celebrate and be celebrated. We all want to care and be cared for. We all want to um, be encouraged and encourage others. We all want to be known deeply and to know others that way. We want a place to mourn and laugh and cry. That's what friends do because we're together heart and soul. We're behind each other. It takes humility. It takes mutuality. It takes grace, courage, and the power of the Holy Spirit so the fruit of the Spirit is present because that's really helpful for friendship. But just remember, no one is a failure who has friends. And I wonder, I wonder how your life might be different. Imagine it for a moment. He said, you know what? 
He's right. I need to find a couple of people. I need to do the hard work. And it's not easy. Building friendships is not easy. It takes time. It can be frustrating. People will let you down. I get all that. But imagine how your life could be better. Richer. Less failure. Because you have friends. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, I just praise you and thank you and worship you. You're an awesome God. You live in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. You want us to live in the community of at least three people so that we have these friends who will stand with us, stand behind us, be with us in heart and soul, and we'll be right there to help us to find the life we're looking for. Father God, give us the courage to find friends. And for those who have friends today, they are rich, and may they treasure them as riches those friendships they have. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service, and uh, Matt's coming out here. We're going to do a song. See, we started our service, and we've kind of focused on looking upward at who God is. We've kind of looked this way. We've looked at each other and the importance of friendships. We're going to turn our attention back to Godward. A couple of older songs. Some of you will know them. We're going to sing them together. Matt will explain how we're going to do that. Let me just say that if you want to, while we're singing, we have these bricks at the side, and some people have been getting these bricks at the side. You see them on these little easels, and they have the word life on them. And if you need the brick of friendship, saying that's what I need to really get, that's the wall in the way, you can go while we're singing and, and, and so on. Then I'm going to come back out, do a little reading, and then we're going to close with a little event here today. So Matt, lead us in this now. Now I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're just, going to, we're just going to join together. As a community of faith, we're going to sing a couple pretty old songs. They, they might be so old that some of you don't know them, but they're really, really easy. So just sing with us. Thou, O Lord, on high above all the earth, Thou art exalted high above, O God. For Thou, O Lord, on high above all the earth, Thou art exalted.
join together as a community of faith. God, our God is an awesome God. 
right now. Let's sing. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Let me just read these words, and then I'm going to ask you to be seated after I read them. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and his past beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? From him and through him and to him are all things. The awesomest of God is what he's saying. And he says this, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please take a seat just for one moment. We have talked about who God is. We've looked upward today. We've talked about friendships and the importance of that. We've looked around and at each other. And I just want to, we want to close with an outward moment this morning. And so we uh, do these regularly. We have a a commissioning um, for teams that are going internationally on one of our projects or a project. And we have four guys going. I think I saw them sitting down here. So come on, guys, head up. This team is going to Nicaragua from October the 5th to the 12th. And they're working, with, they're working with Living Water International, and they're doing pump repair on existing wells. Um, and so we've got a couple of pictures. There's some of the teams that have gone before. And if you flip to the next one, there they are fixing a well. Of course, Nelson is taking the lead on the fixing there. And uh, then lastly, here's someone enjoying the well that has been fixed. And so there's six of them on the team all together. So I'm going to start here. It's, uh, I know them all. Frank Cruzen and Scott Brady and Herman Clausen and Nelson Burkhart. And uh, there's two more going with them. Uh, Dave Shaw, who couldn't be here, and uh, Jeff Bousfield as well. So these six guys are going to be going, fixing some wells. And uh, it's going to be an awesome time. They're going to make a difference uh, in the world. And so what we do on these occasions is just pray a prayer of commissioning and God's protection and blessing on you guys. So let me pray for you guys this morning. Father God, I am so thankful that there are people from Lakeside who will step up to the plate and they'll look beyond themselves and they look to make a difference in this world. And I pray for these guys. I pray for Dave and for Jeff and for Frank and Scott, Herman and Nelson. I pray for these men as they travel that you will first help them to travel safely, that you will keep them and protect them from sickness, that you will uh, just Watch over them every step of the way. May they sense your presence in all they do, your smile and your blessing, but may they not just experience that, but may they be a blessing. May they make a difference. May they bring one of those simple essentials of life water to people who desperately need it. So bless them, Lord, and we now commission them as your servants to Nicaragua, and we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great trip. If you're here for child dedication, it's going to be in the chapel at 20 minutes to one. Other than that, God bless. Have a great week.